Welcome to episode 176 of the GTO on 5G. It's the latest insight scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. Joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sai. But before we get started, Anshul, you've got some great news. So why don't you share that with our viewers and our listeners? Yes, my wife recently gave birth about a week ago, and that's why we skipped last week, because I was in the hospital. Shoshana, she's beautiful. Anshul's a first-time dad. I've been around the block a few times. He's not getting a lot of sleep these days, but that'll improve over time. So we're going to be extremely efficient and succinct with the podcast this week. I'm going to start with my first topic. And news broke around John Deere partnering with Starlink for satellite connectivity. And I'm assuming this came out of CES, but this was an article that I caught through Ferris Wireless. And at a high level, what uh, the partnership entails. Uh, and if you're not familiar with uh, how John Deere has done a lot of autonomy, it's really been with GPS, if you can believe it. And I remember it was a CES that was well before the pandemic. And um, I was able to go out in the middle of a parking lot there near the convention center and, and saw this demo. But they are moving, no surprise, to LTE and eventually 5G connectivity. But basically the way this solution works is that if you know, someone is operating a piece of John Deere equipment uh, that is equipped with a Starlink CPE and there's uh, no connectivity to a traditional uh, radio tower, then this solution can develop a satellite connectivity um, to do a lot of the autonomy and a lot of the different functions that are available through John Deere's application, which is the Deere Operations Center app. Hey, here's another fairly compelling use case for satellite connectivity. So what do you think, my friend? I think it's great if you think about a lot of the rural areas where there are farms and just the, the sheer size of a lot of these farms, it makes a lot of sense that you would want something that takes advantage of the clear sky and delivers pretty good bandwidth. But if a farmer needs to get a firmware update or put new data into the combine or whatever it is, it's a lot easier to do with Starlink than pretty much anything else they have access to. Yeah, I agree. And so today, again, it's mainly LTE connectivity with the satellite failover, but I'm sure with 5G, that'll bring some applications, some capabilities. One of the challenges, obviously, in rural is just 5G is still being deployed. And as you and I have spoken on prior podcasts, there is standalone. It's still a well underway from a deployment perspective in the United States and other parts of the world. But I think this is another compelling demonstration of how satellite can bridge connectivity. With that, let's go to your first topic. And you attended um, Samsung Unpacked, I'm assuming virtually, right? Yes, virtually. I uh, I was pre-briefed. I wasn't able to attend in person. I was invited to go, but obviously I couldn't go. Just like see, But yeah, Unpacked was interesting. Most of the information was just new phones. The regular S24 line dated with the new Snapdragon 8 Gen 3 in the U.S., the Ultra is Snapdragon 8 Gen 3 across the board everywhere in the world. But in other geographies, they are shipping with Exynos 2400 chip. So they've gone backwards and try to save some money because and, and, they make the chips themselves. So they're definitely getting better margins there. And they're also uh, leveraging AMD GPU IP for ray tracing and graphics in that Exynos chip. The big takeaways are Galaxy AI, which is their branding of a those AI features for photography, 
for translation, um, for a bunch of different applications. But the big controversy was that they are going to start charging for this AI capability after 2025. I'm not sure that's going to stick. I think they're going to backpedal on that one yeah, because they got a lot of pushback. But the 24 Ultra is a really nice phone. They did away with the curved screen. They're using the latest Gorilla Glass armor, which is the toughest that they make. And I think one of the cool AI features that is part of Galaxy AI is something that they worked with Google on, which is also going to be available on Pixel 8 and Pixel 8 Pro at the same time as the S24, which is called Circle to Search. So you can basically pause any video, take any image, and just circle part of that image or that video and automatically search it for you on the internet. So it's like a really interesting and compelling way to start looking for things. If you, well, if you're watching somebody's TikTok and just circle their, their video, I think they're, they're experimenting with shorts right now, but I think it's going to expand everything. Yeah. Um, it's just really an interesting way to use AI that's unique, but maybe not exclusive. And yeah, the other thing was that they teased a, a smart ring, but they, that's not a 5G device. It's a wearable health device. Yeah. But the details there. But yeah, the entire S24 line is 5G. It's the default choice in the US when it comes to Android devices. Yeah, I saw the the announcement around the the smart ring. I wear an Aura ring and it's pretty incredible. I'm not a big smartwatch person. I do have a, an Apple watch that I like to wear when I travel. So I'm not surprised to see that Samsung is announcing something along those lines. That market is becoming crowded. Aura tends to be the leader, but there weren't a lot of details, right? No, no pricing, no availability just later this year. Okay. Interesting. And to be fair, I'm excited about it because I've been considering getting an Aura ring. I even bought the sizing kit. I just feel like it's a little too chunky for me. And the Samsung looks a lot thinner and smaller. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And certainly if you're an Android person, it fits well within the ecosystem as well. But hey, let's go to my second topic. I want to talk about NTT Docomo. And I covered NTT Docomo on a prior podcast. And this was after a trip that I made to Tokyo and spent time with the company and also other divisions of NTT at their R&D forum. They held what they called their Open House 24 event this year, this past week. And... There was a lot of talk around terahertz and 6G and sort of the evolution of 5G. And from my perspective, as I read through the various announcements, they're going to lean, they want to lean very heavily into terahertz, which is interesting. You and I have talked about that. Could terahertz be the future of 6G? There are certainly some challenges. I think you, you stated those challenges as well. But to no surprise, also a lot of discussion around AI and how that's all going to come together. And they also talked about their sensing platform. And that's something that I wrote about in that Forbes article after I spent time in Tokyo in December or November of last year. But I continue to be impressed with NTT Docomo. For the longest time, it seemed to be that SK Telecom and Korea was the real innovator from a use case perspective and forward-looking technologies. But NTT Docomo is really coming into its own. I'll be at a, an event in San Francisco that's hosted by NTT Americas, and that'll occur in April. And so I hope to learn more there, but I don't know if you caught uh, any of this news in between feedings with your daughter, but what are your thoughts? I did not catch this one, but I, I have been noticing that NTT is 
becoming a lot more aggressive, specifically Docomo, and just getting more more exploratory when it comes to new technologies. They always has have been, but there were there was a period of time when they weren't as prominent. Getting back to that spirit. Awesome. Hey, so Angel, let's go to your second topic this week, and you want to talk about T-Mobile and um, some coverage improvement. Yeah, so T-Mobile uh, actually invested two hundred million dollars into basically building out their coverage in West Virginia. They did this as like a joint announcement with the governor of West Virginia, and part of this was they were deploying sites. So they basically increased their coverage by 30%. They added 377 new towers and upgraded 121 existing towers, which is what cost them a million dollars. Yeah. Their their result was 100% of interstate highways in West Virginia service with T-Mobile 5G. 90% of West Virginians now have T-Mobile 5G access, which is that up 30%. They also said 70% of West Virginians now have access to ultra-capacity 5G, um, which now delivers median download speeds of 100 megabits per second statewide, 41% since 2021. And they said that they have greatly expanded backup power sources to ensure redundance. So they are trying to make a play for the entire state, and it might work. And, and also, it, West Virginia is one of the poorest states in the country. So it's a nice thing for them to improve access because now people will be able to get much faster internet at home than they probably ever would have if they have internet where they live. Yeah. West Virginia is very mountainous. It's just not beneficial for a lot of companies to cover it. And it seems like T-Mobile has really gone out of their way to make this possible. And they are, they're talking about home broadband and competitiveness. And yeah, it's a big deal. I think they did something similar in South Dakota where they yeah. first launched their 600 megahertz band with standalone. They basically just covered the whole state. So it's really cool to see them still continuing to focus on more rural states and enabling more connectivity for people. And this has been a real focus for T-Mobile. They really invested in rural America. They've done a lot of grants and subsidies to drive connectivity there. And from my perspective, it's needed. And to your point, West Virginia, it's typically from a, from a revenue perspective, there isn't a lot of heavy industry. There is um, a lot of mining that occurs there. But to your point, there are a lot of rural areas in the Appalachian Mountains and that sort of thing. I applaud T-Mobile for investing in an area that likely has lower subscriber density and likely probably lower average revenue per unit or R2. So that's, that's great to see uh, T-Mobile making that investment. But let's move to my third and final topic. And I want to talk about something that's pretty close to home base. The LCRA or the Lower Colorado River Authority in Central Texas is actually testing private cellular in the management of not only hydroelectric operations, but also parks in, in the Central Texas area. So um, I'm from Austin. Um, I grew up in Austin. I recently moved out to Bastrop, Texas, which is east of Austin. And the Colorado River actually runs through my neighborhood, so this is very close to, to my heart. But the LCRA operates a number of different dams, and this, these are all connected through the Highland Lakes chain. These generate electricity, but also the LCRA has responsibility for park management. So what I really like about this is the LCRA is testing 900 megahertz spectrum. Now, this is LTE, 
But this is to manage basically 34 retail utilities within Texas that serve over a million people. And then also it's going to be piloted amongst 30 parks, recreational areas, and natural resource areas. And if you think about the applications for private cellular, from an operation standpoint, it's tremendous. When you think about the operation of dams and that sort of thing, you have a lot of sensors. There are, you've got to open floodgates and, and that sort of thing. Very similar to a port operation, maybe not as many moving parts, but uh, very ideally suited for that. And if you think about parks and recreation, there are a lot of applications, not only for gas Wi-Fi, but, but also just for uh, management of parks, using computer vision. There are poaching issues. It is deer season right now, deer hunting season in Texas. You're not allowed to, to hunt in uh, recreational areas and parks. And so... I think there'll be a lot of applications for this. And again, it's a test and it's LTE, but I think if it's successful, there could be opportunities to expand use cases and, and eventually employ 5G down the road. So I don't know if you have any comments here, but what do you think just from an application perspective? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of opportunities for a lot of these IoT applications and benefit from private networks. Yeah, I think deploying the right type of private network based on IoT application is a key component of success. And I just think having more connectivity in more places and leveraging maybe smaller swaths of spectrum, but still using standard spectrum instead of using like a LoRaWAN or something that's a proprietary tech um, right. will ultimately be better for everybody because the costs come down and then that enables more volume, which then increases the uptake and they just get that flywheel going. I hope that we see more of these kind of things happen, more and more developments. I agree. Hey, let's move to your third and final topic. And Verizon has been in the news this week. There was news recently around a pretty big write down of like $6 million rel relative to their, their wireline business, what they're doing there. But they've also been talking about 5G standalone slicing and small cell deployments. And you want to share that with our viewers and listeners. Yeah, it's interesting because there's a, this whole article in Pierce Art Wireless about Verizon's approach to network slicing and standalone. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is that it very much talks about how they tied their rollout of standalone with their C-band rollout, which we expected exactly what they, was going to be what they were going to do. Makes um, sense. Yeah. And their network has matured. I've actually been on Verizon for the last year. I went out and bought an iPhone 15 Pro Max and slapped it on the Verizon network. Mm -hmm. You get a good idea of what the coverage is like. I will tell you that their C-band network is quite good, but it's not that great. There's a yeah. lot of places where I get signal and the performance is just not there. Same could be said of T-Mobile's network, but they're in way more places and I get much faster in general. Yeah. Uh, but they are talking about slicing. They did some demos. They did one with Axon for law enforcement applications. I think we even talked about that on a few podcasts. Ago. We do. Uh -huh. And then they also did one during Formula One with Norris, where he carried around a device and they gave him a network slice for streaming that video on his device. So it sounds like they're getting a lot more aggressive on slicing and taking advantage of SA, which is great because we've been talking about this for years. Yeah. Um, the more operators start using 5G SA and network slicing, the more developers will take advantage of it. Then, it, then that grows the 5G ecosystem. 
and demand for that kind of connectivity. And then they also talked about small cells, which they're going to start using C-band small cells, and they're going to start plugging in holes in their network with these small cells, but they're not saying exactly how many they've deployed, but it's really interesting because there's just so many opportunities with small cells to plug gaps, which I think they're going to have to do. Like this is the densification you and I were talking about that they were going to have to do. Yeah, I was um, going to say, we've been talking about that for years, given the profile C there. It's almost like a victory lap, I would say, because <laughs> we were right. Nevertheless, I'm glad to see Verizon is going down the right path and the path that we expected they would, maybe a little bit slower than we had hoped, but they did also accelerate their ramp of their network, just like AT&T did. They've both done pretty good in terms of rolling out their networks. They still need to roll out their standalone stuff. The team might be a little bit ahead of them there. But what's interesting is we are finally in, in the actual era of standalone. And uh, I'm excited about it because I know what that means for 5G growth. Yeah. And I think as we exited last year and we did our predictions, I think both you and I pointed to 2024 as uh, being the year for standalone. And and I agree, we, we've beaten Verizon up over the last year to 18 months. And we did point out some things like the need for densification to improve coverage and performance, but I've been paying more attention. You tend to do this for the two of us, but I've been paying more attention to Brookline and that sort of thing. And they are dramatically improving their performance. In the LTE world, they were the king of the heat when it came to coverage and reliability and performance. And they fell back in 5G just based on having that lack of mid-band spectrum. But C-band has helped them shore that up and they're definitely moving forward. But hey, my friend, it's been another good podcast this week. I know you haven't gotten a lot of sleep, but um, I'm glad we could do this since we didn't get one in last week. But why don't you take us home? We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Will Contact and I'm at Arnold We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week. Don't forget to and subscribe.